0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Straight From the CPA's Mouth. I'm Eric Pye, Manager of Member Products and Services at CPA Alberta, and I'll be your host for this episode. With us today is actor turned CPA Gerald Matthews. Over the course of this episode, we'll discuss success and living fully, Gerald's career as an actor, and why and how he transitioned into accounting. 150,000 new businesses are created in Canada each year. But only 31 intelligence
1: is a critical skill for leaders. How do I robotics, develop this? Artificial ideas. intelligence will take over analytics, big data, trend analysis. It needs to diversify its economy. But how do we do that? Create new opportunities for young innovators. This does account for 77% of all private jobs created companies. in Canada. Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth.
0: Welcome, Gerald. And I'm—I've been looking forward to meeting you and talking with you ever since I was asked to interview you. Uh, being somebody in career development, it's always interesting to talk with somebody who's uh, changed careers. So I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And uh-huh. Say hello.
1: Uh, Hello. Uh, How much would you like? Would you like long story or the short story?
0: A few words about yourself is fine.
1: Okay. I'm the son of a native Calgarian. Uh, I went to the University of Calgary, got a degree in fine arts drama, spent 25 years being a professional actor. In about 2006, I decided this is a fun job, but a lousy career. So I went back to school three weeks later at Bow Valley College. I got a diploma in accounting. Uh, a couple of weeks out of graduation, I got a job in the oil patch with a natural gas company called Interflex Systems. I'm still with them. I started in their co- corporate finance department. I continued my education. I transferred to internal audit. I got my designation in 2013. I became a CPA in 2015. I continued my education and I became a CIA, a Certified Internal Auditor, this year. Wow. Well,
0: I'm certainly looking forward to finding out more about that whole journey. It sounds super interesting. So, in our last episode, Chioma Ufodike posed the question What do you consider absolutely necessary for a successful life? I'd like to ask you, Gerald, what do you think of that question?
1: That is a terrifying question. When when Danielle, the producer, asked me to be on the episode, I went and listened to all the old episodes, and so I saw, sort of thought that I knew what the question was going to be. And then, of course, you've had guests since then, so it was an entirely new question. Um, so the first thing I did was, because I, I had no idea what my answer would be, I cheated. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. I'm I'm, a, I'm an ethical professional. I didn't cheat. I crowdsourced my answer. And so I just started posing that question to a bunch of my colleagues, a bunch of my friends. Um, my wife, I, and I got all sorts of answers because it is a really hard, good, meaty question. Like Kudos to, to the poser of that question. Um, and it's interesting because people focused on different clauses in the sentence. And so some people um, focused on the absolutely essential part. So what's absolutely essential to life? And so people said things like oxygen and water, <laughs> and food, clothing, and shelter. And, and it was more than one person that did that. And one of my colleagues at work focused on the successful part of it. And so he said, luck, because he had just read a Scientific American article that says luck is more indicative of, of success in in life than than his talent. And he forwarded me the article, it was a fascinating article, um, but I took several long walks and really thought about this uh, because the the bit for me was successful life, not absolutely necessary for life, but what's, what makes a successful life? Um, I don't know that I came up with a good answer. And in fact, when I was driving here with my wife today, I, I dropped her off at lunch, and I actually told her the details of what I was doing today, and she said, they're interviewing you? <laughs> I went, yeah, they're accountants. They're nice. Um, for me, it, it, one of the themes that came out when people said, and I agree with it, is it's, it's about having purpose. It's about setting goals for yourself, either consciously or unconsciously. Um, but I think another theme that came up regularly was, was relationships, healthy relationships, your family, your friends, your loved ones. And the other thing is your physical health, being the healthiest version of you. Um, somebody said health just generally, and I thought, does that mean Stephen Hawking didn't have a successful life? But it's the healthiest version of you that you can be, mentally, physically, all of that. Um, and then setting goals. And and accomplishing them. It's interesting because I'm at that stage of life where um, my parents and my in-laws and and all the parents of all my friends and in-laws, all those sorts of people, they're they're getting towards the end of their life. And so you're dealing with that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to look. And my mother passed away earlier this year, and I was looking at her because I think she had a really successful life. Um, My dad passed away about 40 years ago, and she was a homemaker. So essentially at that point, it was a really tough transition, but then it's, how do I get to make the most of my life? And I look back on the next 40 years of her life and I go, okay, that's a good role model for me. That's somebody who made other people's lives better, somebody who did a lot, accomplished a lot. I mean, I I made a joke a number of years ago that I could be dropped on a desert island somewhere and the first person I would meet would know my mom somehow. <laughs> so I, I think those are the three things. Health, mm-hmm. in all its definitions. Um, goals, purpose, and then just loved ones.
0: Right. Wow. Well, it sounds like all three of those were embodied in your mom.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. And and you can see it in, in my in-laws as well because my, my father-in-law, very busy, very active, Um, Very healthy. And my mother-in-law, once she had retired, didn't really have much to do. Mm. And so she kind of wound down more quickly than he has. Right, right. How much do you think
0: a successful life depends on a person's circumstances and how much of it depends on what they choose
1: to do? I want to say I think almost none of it depends on their circumstances, and then I think no, that's not true, and then I start arguing with myself in my head, which probably doesn't make for a great interview. But, <laughs> but it, I, I go back to my, the the article that my colleague sent me about luck being more important than talent. Um, but then I look at people all over the world, and the the vast income disparity that we have in the world. And does that mean that some people who aren't materially well off, their circumstances are they're poorer materially than than I am does that mean they can't have a success life and I don't think that's true at all Mm -hmm. I I don't think that I think it really depends on what you want to define your success as what Mm -hmm. your goals are Mm -hmm. and I think it's one of the reasons why billionaires don't stop trying to make money it's because they set new goals for themselves they have new purpose for themselves and they keep going and so I I don't think your circumstances do play um, don't necessarily play the most important part in, in your outcome of a successful life.
0: Right. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, in career development, there's a theory of happenstance, which is, uh, and it basically goes along the lines of that luck does have an important part to play, but you basically have to make your own luck. You have to put yourself in situations where luck can happen Um how would you respond to that?
1: I I think that's that there's a lot of wisdom there. Um again going back to the Scientific American article about luck, they quote um Taleb the guy that wrote Black Swan and he talks about being resilient to it. Mm-hmm. And so it's people are giving you lottery tickets all the time. <laughs> and it's just a question of, are you going to scratch them or are you just going to throw them away? Right. Cuz a lot of them they're not going to pay off, but unless you're open to that and willing to say yes, um, that was one of the philosophies I had when I went back to school is say yes to everything. Right. And I think that that's not literally possible all the time, but it's a really good motto to, to kind of run your life by, at least because fe- it means that you're open to things. Yeah, yeah. Do you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I remember uh, I'm, I lived overseas for a long time, and uh, I was taught in the other country that I lived in that better to, better than saying no – is always to say yes, and if you are really leaning towards no, say yes, but, and see what <laughs> kind of comes out from that.
1: <laughs> and have you followed that philosophy yourself?
0: I try to, um, and I try to use it a lot at work as well, uh, you know, when, when people ask me, you know, someone calls me from the Edmonton head office and asks me to do something, and, you know, I'm thinking no, but, well, I'll say yes, but, and, you know, see what comes. Yeah. Um, and often the yes, but is a, a lot more effective... Uh, response because the person on the other end they just hear yes yeah yeah it's and a it good just, way for developing relationships and opportunities
1: so can you loan me twenty bucks
0: <laughs> uh, yes but <laughs> the interest rate will be quite high okay see I see
1: how that <laughs> works now that's good that's good I like that
0: yeah um, let's let's shift uh, gears here and this is the part that I've been really looking forward to because as I said I've I've worked in career development and uh, so I'd like to talk a bit about your career and starting with. Uh, your work as an actor. So how did you get into acting?
1: Well, I, was in, I did plays in elementary school, and it was good and it was fun. It was easy to do. And then in high school, um, we got a, a good drama teacher. Uh, we had two gra- drama teachers, and I actually ran into one of them yesterday. Um, but the one said, uh, are you going to audition for the play? You're a good man, Charlie Brown. And I said, no. And he said, yeah, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yeah, you are. And then he went and signed up my name on the audition sheet. So this December audition, I memorized Edelweiss, the song from Santa of Music. I went to this audition. The buses had stopped running by the time it was finished. But when we came back from Christmas vacation, the cast list was up, and my name wasn't on it. <laughs> Instead, they asked me to be the assistant stage manager, which I didn't even know what that was. So you go to rehearsals, but the guy that was playing... Schroeder didn't show up to rehearsal, so they asked me to read in his part. He didn't show up for the next rehearsal, and so I read in his part again. Then he showed up for a rehearsal, and then the next rehearsal he, he got kicked out of the show. And they said, "Do you want to be Schroeder?" And I said, <laughs> "Okay, I'll be Schroeder." Right. And and so I went around school all that day telling people, "I'm going to be Schroeder. I'm going to be Schroeder." By the end of the day, the guy playing Linus, which was a bigger part, had been kicked out of school, <laughs> so they moved me to Linus. Um, it was a great way to start, and then I did the high school drama festival. I won scholarships. I didn't really know what to do, so I went to university. and And my math mark was not great, which is interesting. Cause winding <laughs> up as an accountant, but what I found out being an accountant is there's a lot of math, but most of it isn't very hard.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and I just went from there. It was just an easy career,
0: right? Okay. Why Why do you think the teacher was so insistent on you or auditioning? Was there something? Like that they saw in you, do you think?
1: I think so. Uh, I mean, my wife, who is still in the industry, says there's no substitute for talent. There's just none, which is why in a lot of um, performing arts situations, you will put up with people who are not very pleasant human beings and are very high maintenance because they have something that is truly magical that other people just don't have. Right. And it was interesting when I was I. Because my wife had a play reading yesterday, went with her, and the director and she were talking about theater horror stories. And I was just remembering that. And yeah. it's something that you don't really find in the accounting profession.
0: Mm-hmm. So you don't find a lot of divas in the accounting profession.
1: No, there's a lot of... and it, When I was asked to be on this podcast, my first response was, oh, that's really scary. These people are really <laughs> intimidating. Because you've had such a lot of great, intelligent really accomplished people on your podcast already, but the accounting profession I find in general is more supportive and people more willing to go, I'm willing to help you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm much more willing to mentor you. And it's not nearly as cutthroat and competitive.
0: Right, right. Um, I'm interested, uh, you know, you you talk about being an accountant now. Um, I've always heard that acting in Calgary and in Canada is probably not the best way to get rich quickly. (laughs) Um, But it was still something that you pursued. Um, So what about acting made it worth pursuing?
1: Uh, I think it's about purpose. And I mean, if you're good at something and people keep giving you positive affirmation for it, you're just going to keep doing it. Um, But it is a fun job. It is, you get to go to work. And if you do your job properly, there'll be hundreds of people at the end of the night clapping for you and cheering for you. And that has never happened in the accounting profession for me. Just I mean, I'm sure that somebody somewhere when they get the debits and credits right is gonna get applause like that. Yeah. But that's that's the real fun part. But it isn't it really is not a very nice career to be in.
0: You said you were an actor for how long, fifteen? Years?
1: Depends how you measure it. Okay. Uh for twenty-five years, the the biggest uh line of income on my tax statement was Actor. Okay. So I say twenty-five years. Gotcha. You can measure it slightly differently, but yeah, twenty-five years is good enough.
0: Okay. Um, and did you did you perform a number of like like really really varied kinds of roles in uh, there? Uh,
1: yeah, it's uh, the, the thing you say uh, the, the the piece of advice you gave about saying yes, but mm. um, one of the things they teach you in in drama school when you're doing improv is say yes and. Right. You never say no because that's mm. just blocking it doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah. Um and and one of the jokes about actors is can you ride a horse? Of course I can. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you've never been on a horse before, you always say yes, yes. because you need to book the work. Right. It's a rare um, group of people that can actually be picky and choosy about how they design their careers. But for most of us it's just I I got to play the BC apple bear because I need need to pay the mortgage this month. Right. Do you right. know?
0: well, wow. How much did you uh, research before preparing for parts where you were doing something that was completely new for you?
1: Depends on how much time you had. Depends on the part. I did a lot of interpretive theater. So for places like Kananaskis Country or Heritage Park at the Glenbow Museum. Um, and some of the characters that I played for the Glenbow would involve a lot of research. So right. the, the Edvard Monk, the the Norwegian painter who painted the screen. The screen, right. So there was an exhibit and I got hired to play Edvard Munch. And at the gala reception, the Norwegian ambassador came over to me and started speaking to me in Norwegian. (laughs) And I had to say, since I died, I forgot how to speak Norwegian.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you stayed in character for that.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah. Um, But yeah, and it's just like if you're doing, because interpretive theater is different from regular theater because it's, inspiration, revelation, and provocation through information, as opposed to just being inspiring, revealing, and provoking for its own sake. And so we did a, a, a program about the group of seven, and so I played Lauren Harris, right. and just learned as much about Lauren Harris as I could. Right. And 99% of that you don't use when you're working, mm-hmm. but you know, it's that few percent of the time mm-hmm. when you have to go back and go... And so part of that is like, yeah, I can I can learn to play anything. Right now I'm just playing an accountant. It's a nice long run,
0: right? Yeah, nice stable gig. <laughs>
1: nice stable gig.
0: <laughs> right? Uh, did you learn to paint to be Lauren Harris? <laughs> uh, I
1: did. I did learn to sketch. Um, it's because another actor that I worked with was sketching during note sessions in rehearsals, and I just it's a good way to pass the time when you're board, right. um, but my, my sketching was never particularly good. It did get a lot better than it was, because I did have to take design in university, mm-hmm. and I remember in the costume design class that I had, we had to do these sketches and put them up on the board and talk about them, and right. mine were not good. Mine yeah. were mine were so bad that one of the, the, the other women in class was laughing at me, and even the the instructor was laughing, so I yeah, it was bad.
0: Okay, well, what was... The most outside the box role you've ever had to play?
1: Uh, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> it's just like, okay, what are you doing? You go do the thing. It's just, that's just what you do. I, I mean, I made the allusion to the BC apple bear, which is basically mascot work. Mm-hmm. But when I worked in Kananaskis country, my wife described my job as dressing up like a butterfly and dancing for people in their campsites. <laughs> but kids shows touring all over Alberta Um, one of the last shows I I co-founded a theatre company that's still running in in Calgary Evergreen Theatre and we did a lot of tours to a lot of schools but one of the last tours we did was for Atco in 2005 they set up a, a history of Alberta and an energy education program that toured all over Alberta for four months and just doing that and just going around to small town Alberta and just having fun with people, you know? Yeah.
0: I'm curious um, what you found more challenging. Was it acting for adults or acting for kids? Because you've mentioned kids a few times.
1: Okay. The thing about working in Kananaskis country as an interpreter is that the kids are in the front row and they have gravel. <laughs> so you have to be at least on point enough to keep them engaged and and interested. Right. Um, But I was thinking about that a while ago as the most satisfying part of being an actor is actually getting people to suspend their disbelief willingly. Mm. Um, I I remember doing a show for the Glenbow. It was about art censorship. And so we had a picture. The the premise of the piece was uh, the lawsuit in the 19th century when Whistler, the famous artist, Whistler's mother, he sued John Ruskin, the most famous Victorian art critic, over a bad review.
0: Okay.
1: Um and so we showed people the painting and people said, No, this is terrible. It's a wonderful piece of art. How could he how could the critics say such horrible things about it? Mm. Of course Whistler should have won. And then we showed them a group of seven painting, which had got horrible reviews in nineteen sixteen, and they said the same thing. It's wonderful. And then we showed them a Barnett Newman that had been bought a few years by earlier by the National Gallery for one point one point eight million. And they're going. That's three stripes. Oh. That can't <laughs> no, that's just and so getting people to actually engage and think, provoking that laughter, provoking that thought, provoking that discussion, right. and just making people think about it. And we had some great conversations with those people. Mm-hmm. But I also remember a show that I did at Stage West here in Calgary, and Doug McKay, a local actor, very funny man. I, I, I came in. I said a line which was a, a, a joke that had been set up by Neil Simon throughout the second act and Doug McKeg just hammered it every night just uh, it's that think about the hardest you've ever laughed at something <laughs> and imagine that seven nights a week with yeah. just that bark of laughter where people just couldn't help laughing that hard and mine was the line after that so I always had to wait for the laugh uh-huh. and so seven out of eight shows a week there was this massive massive laugh that you just had to hold for and and the eighth show, which was the Wednesday matinee, never got a laugh. Bombed. It—it's just the different audience, right. and and a very different audience on the Wednesday matinee. But just hearing that—that that visceral laughter that people just can't help themselves. I—that's. I, mean, I mean, I was just kind of a bystander, like giving the setup. Doug gives the punch, and I just yeah. stand and wait. And okay, how long is this going to last <laughs> for? But so it's may
0: maybe success for an artist, for an actor is.
1: Yeah, and it's reaction? those moments, right? Yeah. It's just like we, I did Cinderella, and when the Ugly Stepsisters came out for the curtain call every night, because I was one of the ugly, ugly stepsisters, <laughs> um, you just hear that bump in the applause and the cheers, mm-hmm. and you go. I I made somebody just. They're gonna leave the theater tonight happier than when they came in.
0: Yeah, and they'll probably remember you, right?
1: if only for all the wrong reasons. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. So you're it, it, from what I've heard, your transition from acting to accounting began in a unique way. Uh, could you tell us how you discovered accounting?
1: Yes. Okay, so <laughs> I think every actor has this love-hate relationship with, with the arts because it, it can be a very demanding and difficult profession. I remember back around 2004 or so, the first year that my daughter was playing soccer and i was doing a kids show at stage west and i came off stage after a show one day and the house manager was there and he never ever came backstage and he had his cell phone and he handed me the cell phone and said there's a call for you it's my wife and she said i don't want you to worry but we're at the hospital and my daughter in her first season of soccer had fallen and broken her arm and i thought why am I entertaining other people's kids when I should be watching my own daughter? So that planted a real seed in my head. Right. Flash forward a couple years to 2006. I'm doing Christmas Carol at Theatre Calgary. Mm-hmm. And I was playing Christmas Future, which is a silent role. It was the second year I'd played it, so I knew all the lines that I didn't have to say. <laughs> so I had a lot of time, so I spent it reading. And Bob Cratchit in the play has a line that says something like, Mr. Scrooge is taking home the firm's books to go through the accounts. And I thought, I always wondered what Bob Cratchit was doing writing in those books. He must be some sort of bookkeeper account, but I had no idea what that meant. So I thought, eh, I'll get to go to the library because it was downtown right by its central library and get a book on accounting. So I got some intro book on accounting, like Accounting for Dummies, and I was reading it. And I'm going, I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Oh, I don't get that at all. Right. Um. And, and it was just kind of like a little bit of an awakening. And then my niece had come to see the show with her class, and they asked me to come and speak. I said, sure. And I talked to the teacher and set it up, and she said, okay, just, just so you know, one of the questions I'll probably ask is how much that money do actors make? And I went, okay, fine. <laughs> so I looked it up. And the poverty line in Calgary at that time was 23000 a year. Right. And the average actor in Canada made 21000 a year. Wow. And I thought... Oh, that's stupid. (laughs) So, I thought, I don't have much coming up early next year, so what if I take a course in accounting just for fun? Mm. And the only place that I had courses that started in January were Bow Valley College. Right. So, three weeks later, I was in class taking accounting. Wow. And I don't think at that point I thought I was going to become an accountant. I didn't know that it would become a full-time job. Um, I thought it might be just a side gig that I could add on Mm -hmm. because – our actors are self-employed; they're sole proprietorships, and basically, you should have some business skills. And in fact, almost throughout my entire accounting education, one of the thoughts that kept recurring to me is, "I wish I'd known that twenty years ago." <laughs> um, right. And it and it was from there, yeah.
0: So initially, you were thinking act and like be a bookkeeper on the side. Just- as a gig kind of job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're running a theater company, you really should know how to, to, to balance the books. Those skills are just so so valuable and useful and transferable.
0: Right. And then what was it that made you decide to go from, ah, maybe I can do accounting as kind of like a gig to I'm going to give up acting and I'm going to be an accountant?
1: Okay. So my intro accounting first semester textbook had a list of accounting jobs and the salaries. <laughs> and I went... Oh, my goodness. Oh, First of all, I didn't know that accountants had so many different career paths and so many jobs and that they got paid so much more than actors. Like, I really didn't... I mean, you just... Okay, so when I, I had my, my job interview at Interflex Systems, like a year and a half later, my first job at a real big company, yeah. um, one of the things my wife said is make sure you don't undervalue yourself. Make sure you ask what you're worth for. And I went, okay, I'll make sure. I'll be I'll be really sure. Yeah. And so the interview went really well, and they said, "What are your salary expectations?" And I said, "Well, uh, I'd be willing to take. 30, I'd like to have thirty six thousand a year, but I, I'm willing to negotiate." And they went, "Oh, okay." Okay. A week later they phoned back with the offer and said, We're offering you forty two. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Apparently, yeah. I just
0: had no idea, right?
1: Completely different scale though, right? Yeah. Um and it's I remember when I talking to, to accounting students at Bow Valley College later is look up Robert Half's salary guide yeah. to find out what accountants make. Yeah. yeah and how much a designation is worth.
0: Yeah. Do your research, as they say.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's what you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But it, there, there are resources out there, and there are people there to help you.
0: Yeah,
1: that's one thing that I really appreciated.
0: So, was it just about the money, or was there like something else there that really grabbed you about the whole accounting thing?
1: Okay, so th- the first exam that I had in intro accounting, uh, it's this is goes back to the point earlier about goals, and I mm-hmm. think this was an unspoken goal because again, going back to my reading Accounting for Dummies, it just. I, I didn't know if I knew how to do this, so I wrote the exam. It was a two-hour exam. I got done in like thirty or forty minutes, <laughs> um, which can be a good sign, but it can also be a very bad sign. Yeah. So I really wasn't sure what to expect when I got the exam back. I thought, uh, hopefully, a good pass, hopefully, a good mark. Mm-hmm. I got a ninety-eight and a half percent, and I thought, okay, I know how to do this. This is actually making sense, and I can, and I can, I can do something with this, maybe. Wow. But I also enjoyed it. it yeah. The the one joke that I made quite frequently with people is that, um, you get to be right occasionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's and and this is going to fun, sound funny doing in a sitting in a recording studio. But one of the things that used to drive me bonkers about being an actor is doing a sound session and having the recording engineer go, "Okay, that was perfect. Let's do it again. Uh-huh. That was wonderful. Let's do it again. Yeah. That was that, just one more for safety." And and, and it just. It's perpetually grey, but when you get to debits and credits, there are right answers and there are wrong answers. Black and white, and it that's there's something very comforting about that. Yeah, and it just suited me very much so.
0: Right. That sounds. It sounds like you were in a position where you could have some kind of certainty.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. I still, I still get very, very anxious on vacation because. A vacation for an actor means you're unemployed, right? But a vacation as an accountant means you're on vacation, yeah. And like, I got three weeks off now, and that's just that's just good. And I'm going to get a paycheck while I'm on vacation, and that's just oh, you Swing. just have exactly it <laughs> yeah. just. Oh, and maybe it's I I don't know. It it is it is it's it's very pleasant. Awesome.
0: Did you have any doubts about the change?
1: Yeah, my first job with Interflex, I was a corporate accountant, um, and I knew that when I was in college that, that they were teaching us things that we would have to use. We wouldn't use it all, obviously, but you didn't know what you would have to use, mm-hmm. and so you should be good at everything, because you don't know what you're going to get back. Right. About a month into my, my session, at, after starting at Enerflex, I, I emailed back my instructors and said, okay, I, I was wrong. The only thing I haven't used is pension accounting. <laughs> I've used everything else. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of stuff from advanced accounting that I just I uh, I don't I was it was a scramble mm. like it was it was tough. Mm. Um, and then later on when I did advanced accounting, I went. Oh, I wish I'd known that a few years ago.
0: Right. So you were working at Inflex while you were studying?
1: No, I I kept in close contact with the college though. Okay. Um, and I was on the, like the the students' association advisory group, and I was on the accounting advisory group for the business school. But no, Interflex was a full time job, and I had graduated at that point. Okay, okay, okay.
0: Um, and then you decided to do your CPA.
1: Um. Well, I it was because I didn't know that Canada had multiple accounting designations at that point when I was right. in college. That was one of the things that was a real eye-opener for me as well. We've got different types of account- Oh, but I thought, okay, it it makes logical sense to keep going mm. because there is an advantage to getting a designation. Right. At that time, there were three, um, and so I chose one, and I, I went through with it, but then it was 2013 when we merged. I thought, okay, that's good. It's going to be way easier to tell people that don't know what accountants are that there's accounting designation in Canada, and it's chartered professional accountants, and that's us. Right, right. What was the most difficult
0: thing about the career transition for you?
1: Um, I got a really good piece of advice from a friend that's that's worked in offices his whole life. He said, get up and walk around every hour Mm -hmm. because you're used to being very physically active and moving all the time. But if you sit all the time, then that's not going to be a good thing. I had a job for an accounting studio as a bookkeeper for a while. And the the owner of the studio, um, he said, sitting is the new smoking. Mm. And so he always used to scold me about my posture when I was sitting. Right. So I thought that was a good benefit of working at a yoga studio. also taught me to be really flexible.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. I, I'm always interested in about interviewing. Yes. How did you sell yourself in that first accounting interview when you didn't have any accounting experience?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I I made sure that I did my research. On the company, uh, I I read the the job description carefully and thoroughly, um, but they were looking for somebody that was mature, and I was mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have the advanced accounting background that they wanted, but it was a mat leap at the time, right? Um, and so they thought that they could train me up and and support me into that. I don't know. I, I think I interview relatively well, although right. peop- people listening to this podcast may disagree. <laughs> um, but it, it's about being prepared. And right. and yeah, it was the first big job that I had interviewed out of out of college. Right. So it's just about doing your prep and being yeah. confident. And I, it, my daughter just interviewed and got a new job, and I gave her the same advice: is do your homework. Yeah. Do your work, and that's it.
0: I guess you did have the advantage of being used to speaking in front of people. <laughs> I yeah, there's
1: yeah, I I yeah. I <laughs> I, I don't necessarily like talking about myself, mm. but it's that was a skill that probably not a lot of people have. Like there's the old Jerry Seinfeld joke is that people are more afraid of speaking in public than they are of dying. So yeah. if you're at a funeral, it's better to be in the box than giving the eulogy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've heard that uh, that story as well. Um, I'm just going to shift a little bit. So uh, actors are generally known for their passion and personality and creativity. Mm-hmm and accountants are perhaps generally perceived to be a bit more subdued and by the book um, what is it about accounting that convinced you that it would be just as good a fit as acting
1: can we come back to that question because I have a story that I want okay. to tell you sure. okay so yeah. one of the acting gigs i had was being a standardized patient at the medical school so you would go in sure. learn a history of a patient and to give a history to a student doctor right. and, and limited physical exams as well. So when they were writing medical history cases, if they didn't want the student to get distracted by the social history, they always gave the patient the job of accountant because <laughs> then there's no history of abuse or anything like nothing,
0: that. Nothing to ask. Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay,
1: accountant, boring, move on.
0: Right.
1: Um, what, <sighs> the people are good. The best acting situations, people work with each other. You're trying to make the other people look good. And so everybody on stage is trying to make everybody else look good. It all works out. That doesn't happen very often. There's a lot of um, not very pleasant stuff that can go on. Mm. In the accounting field, my experience is people want to work with each other, Mm. which is not to say that accountants don't have senses of humor. Uh, it's, it's fun. Uh, there's a lot of hard work, but you're working with very bright people that are very ethical. Mm. And when you combine intelligence and ethics together, that's an awfully good combination. Yeah. Awfully good.
0: Yeah. Is there anything from your acting career that you bring to your accounting or that you bring to the office, to the workspace?
1: Uh, uh, uh plucky comic relief. (laughs) Uh, I did switch from corporate finance to internal audit after about a year and a half. And one of the first uh, units that I audited was my old boss, the corporate finance group. And he said, oh, good. (laughs) An auditor with a sense of humor. This is going to be a change. Uh I think, and this may be more candid than you really want, is that I'm good at about 60% of my job, really good at 30%. I'm not a good fit for the last 10%. But for the bits that I am good at, internal auditors are different from external auditors. We get a chance to build relationships with people, Mm -hmm. and having those skills so that you do become a trusted business partner is, I think, something that people appreciate, and that they will reach out to us and say, okay, I have this problem, what's your take on it? Right. And so that we can actually say, okay, Just let me run through the facts. Let me think about this logically and dispassionately, and this is my opinion. And you don't have to accept my opinion, but you have it, Yeah. and you have a reason for that. And so I think that the ability to build those relationships, Mm. um, I think that's that's a skill.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about the 10% that you're not well-suited to, I'm assuming there are other people on the team that are well-suited to that, so you kind of make up for each other, or...?
1: Uh, I think it's the confrontation. It's The internal auditor's role used to be the police, the cop, the mm-hmm. tough guy, and that's not me at all. Um, I think that there are people in the team that do that much better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that I can and work around that, and the fact that I work in a company that is values-based mm-hmm. and highly ethical, I mean... We, like everybody else, has has challenges, but we we. T- I mean, I'm one of the people that facilitates a course within the company called values based decision making. Right, and so we teach and try to live those values, and that makes my job so much easier. Hmm.
0: Right. Do you get any strange reactions from people at work when they find out that you were an actor before?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah they they want to see the pictures. They want to see the videos. They want to know what I was in. They yeah. they want to know. Um, and yeah, I do have a few photos from back in the day that I can share, and they can then it makes wildfire around the finance department. And,
0: do you think that helps with the relationship building? Yes, yeah,
1: absolutely. it's you become people, you become all part of the same team working to the same thing right. um, a different perspective mm-hmm. um but yeah it it's just it's just a way of humanizing people, yeah,
0: well, I guess it's also a way for them to really imagine you as a as a person and not just as an auditor right
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah It just I yes okay <laughs> <laughs> do
0: you do you do any acting still like do you do anything in your spare time or
1: well like I said my my wife is still in the business right. uh, she's a playwright Um she teaches playwriting on occasion and she used to bring in two actors to the last class so that the student playwrights could have two actors read scenes for them she doesn't do that anymore now she brings in an actor and an accountant <laughs> okay i i i don't because i think that i can only be good at one thing at one time and there's so much to learn about accounting and internal auditing and the business the industry I, I like trying to be good at that, yeah. and I did get talked into doing an audition uh, not too long ago, and I just I did not enjoy it, mm. because yeah. acting is a craft that deserves respect. Theatre is, is an art form that's been around for thousands of years, it deserves yeah. respect, and I just don't have the time anymore to give it the respect yeah. That, yeah. that it deserves. Yes. And so I'm quite happy to be an accountant.
0: Yeah, it's funny, when you when you do make a career change, sometimes you, there is a certain kind of a a switching off uh, and saying like, you know, I'm done with that period of my life or that piece of my career, right?
1: Yeah, I, and I could see how people would do that. Um, and I think that, that I know that, that there are other people that have gone the other way, gone from careers in banking or whatever and gone into the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me it's i'm very satisfied and happy with what i'm doing now and yeah i, I really believe that i cannot be good at more than one thing right so right. do one thing do it well well adequately
0: i i certainly get the impression that you love what you do
1: i do I, it's i mean it's not just the fact that it's you get weekends off you get it took me a long time to get used to two day weekends i'll tell you um it's not just the time that you get the fact that you get more time with your family, um, it is a good, it is very satisfying. I mean, it's worthwhile. It's helped me understand the world better too. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to to volunteer with the CPA's financial literacy program, and and I think that there are people that are much more qualified, because I consider myself a recovering financial illiterate. (laughs) And... And and just those skills that that I can bring to the table now, yeah. just to, to the family. And it's interesting dealing with family or friends that have have known me for a long time since before I was an accountant. Mm. Um, I have skills that that they don't didn't realize now, right? Do you know?
0: Yeah. So and I think that's a a good uh, note to kind of bring ourselves to an end of this in, interview and and this chat. I've really enjoyed it. Straight from the CPA's mouth gives Alberta CPAs a chance to talk about anything and everything. Uh, Gerald, as happened with you, you were asked a question from a previous participant. Uh, is there a question you would like, to, would like to have the next guest answer?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one I've been kind of thinking about. What's the difference between learning and education?
0: Oh certainly sounds like something you would be very interested in based on what we've just talked about
1: I would be very interested in other people's answers too. Yeah. Do you know?
0: Well, that's a great question to end on. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to add
1: before we wrap up? I don't. I thank you very much for this. This was fun. Yeah. Much less intimidating than I thought it would be.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, me too. Uh, You've been uh, a really uh, great guy to chat with. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and about... uh, you know, your life and about all your successes because I would definitely say that you are a success.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for your time here today. Uh, And thank you to all of you for listening in. Make sure to tune in to our next episode featuring a CPA exploring the difference between learning and education. If you like what you've been hearing on Straight from the CPA's Mouth, please let us know. Send your feedback and ideas for future episodes to Knowledge Center at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a message on social media.
1: Straight from the CPA's mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cbaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.